Hello and welcome to the Never Heard of It podcast. This is Craig Moorhead. And I'm Sean Harwell, and this is the uh, podcast where we talk about movies that slip through our cracks. Welcome, welcome. Mm. Yes, welcome. Welcome. Today we'll be talking about the 1985 actioner, action drama, action-adventure drama. Jungle drama. The jungle drama, thank you. <laughs> the Emerald Forest, starring Powers Booth, Meg Foster, Yaravanu, Mm-hmm. And uh, John Borman's son, directed by John Borman, uh, probably in 1984. We don't have to get into all that. No, he, he made it sometime. Here's the synopsis from IMDb, our friends at IMDb. After the son of engineer Bill Markham is abducted by an aboriginal tribe on the edge of the rainforest, the engineer spends the next 10 years searching for him. Let me just say real quick, uh, this movie was suggested to us by friend and listener of the show, Heath Michaels. Thank you, Heath. Thank you, Heath. If you would like to suggest a movie, um, and we're always taking them, uh, you can find us at NeverHeardPodcast.com, find us on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, etc. at NeverPodcast on Twitter. Go and uh, make a suggestion, because we've got a bunch coming up. So, Sean, uh, as we said, our friend Heath Michaels uh, recommended this movie. Had you ever heard of it? No, not at all. Um, I I think I've come to know John Borman just like post-film school because of, you know, A, deliverance, genius. Um, but certainly, you know, I, I think some of these were movies like Excalibur I probably saw as a kid. Maybe this one popped up on the radar somewhere. And I just forgot about it. But uh, definitely did not ring a bell. And so I had no clue what we were getting into. Um, the title to me strikes me as sort of something maybe from the fantasy genre for whatever reason. Um, I don't think there's any real specific allusions uh, to the forest that the movie takes place in as being called the Emerald Forest. I'm trying to remember correctly. Although the stones that are found in the river that this tribe, the invisible tribe that the, the, the son was abducted into, um, that they use for their face paint to quote unquote, make them invisible. I believe those were somewhat emerald in color. So maybe that's where that connection comes from, but that's a long way of saying, nah, I had no idea what it was. I was excited to check it out. Powers booth slightly on my radar. I had seen Southern comfort and then obviously looking at his resume, like, Oh yeah, this guy's been in a million things. Um, what about you? I think you said, uh, you were familiar of the, uh, about this maybe and thought it was a horror movie or something. Yeah. Well, I remember the poster of it from when I was a kid and, uh, yeah, I mean the, the, uh, you know, the, 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 the title font is kind of scrawled on there and so, sort of a, a thing that font. was reminiscent of, of cuts, maybe mm-hmm. kind of slicing through things. And the, and the image seems to be on the poster anyways, here's, here's dad. And then here's a kid who is pointing an arrow at dad. I, I, I always assumed it was something like he goes in, like, I kind of knew what it was about. I knew he lost his son and that was his son. But I thought then like his son was actually someone who was going to do him harm. Um, so I really I had no idea that this was that the movie that I saw was what I was going to be watching. Right. Well, let's talk um, a, a, just for a second about how we watched this movie, because that in itself yes. was a bit of an experience. Uh, Context this, is going to be big on this. One. Yeah. Um, this movie is available on Blu-ray and DVD uh, streaming. Not so much. 
I watched it on YouTube and a very poor <laughs> transfer that had Greek subtitles and about 10 to 15 minutes through the movie when uh, young Tommy um, is talking to his now native indigenous tribe father, if you will, um, I started to suspect that maybe I was missing some, some English subtitles that probably should be there. Uh, that's not to say I didn't quite get with the gist of what was going on, but I thought I, I maybe should put pause on this and see if I can find the English subtitles. I did on a uh, surprisingly even crappier transfer on YouTube. We're talking uh, 240p here, just to give you an idea. So that's not the best scenario to watch this in, obviously. I still enjoyed it, I gotta say. Craig, I think you, correct me if I'm wrong, watched a version with absolutely no subtitles. That's yeah, true. I wasn't able to access the subtitles, Sean, and uh, <laughs> and I, very much the same as you. I, I mean, I believe I actually texted you at some point and yeah. said, are there supposed to be subtitles here? Because cause honestly, it, like you said, it wasn't very hard to follow it. I, I kind of understood what was happening. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then I was like, uh, and then I was thinking maybe this is just a brave choice, you know. We're just we're not gonna know what they're saying, but we can tell everything that's happening. Like you get it. Um, so, uh, but yeah. So uh, and then I attempted to find some subtitles um, uh, that failed quickly. So I said, you know what? I'm just gonna watch this pure, no subtitles, and see, uh, you know, how lost I get. And I have to say. I don't. I didn't get. I don't feel like I got lost. Uh, I don't think there's anything really besides maybe some parts where uh, after his dad shows up and he's with the whole tribe and they've they've like taken him in and and have healed him and everything that I was unclear exactly what was happening. Right. But even then, I I could kind of make it up. And honestly, it was kind of fun. I I, I liked watching it that way. Well, you know, I mean, I think it was Spielberg always said that. Uh, any good movie you should be able to watch completely with the sound off and still know what's going on so i think that is that's a fun experiment to do every now and then the only thing that i noticed from when i switched back and forth was there's a scene where it's we're first catching up with tommy and seeing that he's kind of assimilated and become a basically a young man i think he's probably 17 18 um with his tribe full-on loincloth i mean he's 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 living that life and there's no doubt about it. He's a hunter and he comes back from a hunt with his father to the tribe and they greet him. And what I thought with the Greek subtitles was a big celebratory (laughs) welcome back. Awesome job on the hunt, pat on the back. Uh, the women are happy to see him. They're kind of going off and running around. Um, that's not, Actually, what was happening was he was alerting the rest of the tribe, which I learned from the subtitles, that they realized on this hunt that another tribe known as the Fierce People, which is sort of like the warring tribe, which we later learned uh, have cannibalistic tendencies, which is always a nice, uh, fun thing to add to any movie, I think, um, were close by and that there was a potential kind of war going on there. So all these people that were gathering around him and then going their separate ways were actually going off to kind of prepare for uh, a possible run-in with that tribe. And so I thought, well, okay, you know what? Yeah, that did change <laughs> change my interpretation of it a little bit. But, but I also, like, I'm trying to think, are there other instances where something like that, I think, even could be interpreted? And I don't know. I mean, there's a scene later. Well, we'll get to that later on. But when... 
uh, Tommy sort of takes takes a wife, if you will, <laughs> by bonking her overhead over the head with a bat. Um, there might have been something there that the girl says that uh, uh, I think would help that <laughs> scenario. Hey, you know, and I think I might know what it is. Okay, that's okay. interesting. Well, but we'll, we'll see. Yeah, we'll test that out in a little bit. Um, I do think it's kind of interesting to talk about how this movie is made, specifically because you've got this father-son story, and yes, this movie is directed by John Borman and starring his son, Charlie Borman. Uh, did you know Charlie Borman at all? And did you know, uh, how quickly did you pick up on that, um, watching the movie, that that was his son? Because it took me, I was like, wait a second, is that... I, had, I looked I, it up like while I was oh, watching. Oh yeah, it. no, I had no idea that anyone named Charlie Borman was in the movie. Okay, I, I even despite I credits, yeah, watching yeah. the opening credits and so on. Uh, yeah, I, I tuned that out actually pretty quickly. Well, he it appears I think had like little teeny tiny roles as boys in Deliverance and Excalibur, and then this was sort of his big leading role. The and Charlie then, Borman trilogy. The Charlie Borman trilogy, um, and then it dawned on me. Halfway through this movie, I was like, oh, wait a second. I know exactly who this is. There was a great um, sort of reality series that Charlie Borman did with Ewan McGregor where they rode motorcycles. They did a, a round-the-world trip on a motorcycle called Long Way Around. I think it was on, I don't know, Bravo or, or one of these cable channels. It's really, it's fantastic. I had no idea who the guy, I mean, I'm sure in the series they mentioned, <laughs> this is the son of John Borman. He was in the Emerald Forest. You may remember him in his loincloth speaking an indigenous language. Um, and quite convincingly, I should say. Um, so that kind of like threw me for a loop there a little bit. Because I was like, oh my God, this is that guy. Wow, that's crazy. And it seems like he's done quite a bit of of sort of travel log kind of shows there's a lot of that out there i mean he's definitely still acting here and there but um definitely seems like maybe the career shifted more on that front and uh i'm also dying to read john borman wrote a book he sort of did a diary about the production of this movie which oh really yeah called money into light which um i haven't found any any passages from but i do i thought maybe kind of fun to just sort of start I found this thing in a New York Times review just to kind of give you an idea of, of what they're going into because, I mean, you know, now I think about like, oh God, being on set is like such a long, like tires, it can be such long, tiresome, boring days, you know, that, you know, maybe you don't have access to the internet as much as you want because you can't have your phone on. Here they are. They're like, you know, in Brazil. And uh, I'll just read a little bit from this article, right? Okay, so they set off to uh, find a place near the Zingu River, which is a major tributary in Brazil, to the Amazon. And apparently the jungle there had been, you know, predominantly too thick to be penetrated at all. And so they, they think that, and these are anthropolo anthropologists believe, that basically that place was undiscovered uh, from 9,000 to 10,000 years uh, between like Indians and late Stone Age Neolithic ancestors, which is crazy, right? Wow. Um, yeah. And they really weren't kind of made contact with uh, until after WW2 even, when they started, you know, they were flying planes over the area and into these jungle clearings. Um, so that's insane um, because... Hey, I think there's probably a limited amount of research. And that's one thing I think when you watch this movie, you get a very real sense that 
they're not just making this crap up. Like all the rituals and the things that's going on, the paint, the, the, just the way they interact with the tribe. Like it just, it feels very authentic to me. Um, but this, this is kind of crazy too. So, um, <laughs> you know, B- Borman went there to make contact with these people and was trying to find like a tribe that they could, they could work with and, and learn from. Um, and so they, they flew in on a small plane and three hours into the flight, the pilot announced that the plane had sprung a gas leak. And so they had nowhere to land, and the plane flying low, a village in the thin airstrip of government Indian affairs outposts appeared on cue among the trees, and they safely landed. But then on a much later return flight, a bat flew into the very same plane and bit the pilot. (laughs) And John Borman is quoted as saying it was a scene from a Dracula movie, and he was forced to land the plane himself. So... Wow. Yeah. I can only imagine... There are a thousand more stories in that diary, not to mention probably some interesting observations about working with his son, who I think was in his early 20s at the time, uh, among a gaggle of topless native women and sort of directing your son um, to become. I mean, there's no like explicit sex scene with his son becoming a man. Not really. Unfortunately. And unfortunately, obviously. But there's some of that there. I mean, that's that's kind of and, and and that's just I don't know. It's just such an interesting relationship, and it does seem like he and his father. Um, I don't know. I didn't see anything to suggest that they've had any sort of falling out or anything like that. Um, and additionally, on this subject, there is a documentary called "Me and My Dad" about John Borman that was made by his daughter, Katrine. Um, so yeah, I think there's a wealth of stuff that we can look into if you like this movie, if you like John Borman, if you like Charlie Borman, um, that I think it would kind of, I don't know, it's, it, it informs your viewing or at least adds some spice to it afterwards. No, it definitely does. And I would like to know more about how it was shot because it doesn't look like it would have been an easy shoot. In no um, freaking way. <laughs> it certainly does not look like they are uh, uh, on a soundstage. Um, so if they, yeah, if they were actually shooting there... That's pretty incredible. Yeah, and let's I mean let's talk about that a little bit because this movie does open, like we say, with a prologue and you know, you're finding out that they're clearing a good chunk of this land, um, and that's what Powers Booth is there for. He's sort of I, I think he's kind of like the engineer um for this entire town of some sort, but at least for the they're building a dam to provide power uh to this area that they're gonna develop. And the son is off playing in the woods, you know, in the jungle there, goes out just a little bit. And the next thing you know, he's abducted and gone. And we're cutting to 10 years later. Um, some really just expansive establishing glimpses in that prologue of what that cleared area looks like. And then, yeah, when you're back 10 years later, there's a freaking dam. Like, it's a real dam, you know. Um, and so, I don't know, just all that stuff was cool. Like, it definitely, you feel like you're there. Um one of the things I really liked about this movie was how Powers Booth and Charlie Borman meet up. Like, their their moment of, what do you want to call that? Rediscovery, I guess, for one another. And, um, I mean, that's kind of coming <laughs> after Powers Booth has, again, set off into the jungle. He's never stopped looking for this kid for 10 years. Um, the wife has been working with all these, like, abandoned orphans groups uh, in the area, obviously hoping that the son will walk in there at some point or someone will know him. But he sets off on this little mission with, uh, I think the guy was like a newspaper reporter, right? Uve, was that his name? 
Yeah. The guy with the, he's got a pretty awesome skullet, you know, <laughs> he's bald he on top. He does, yeah. He was an interesting the most, guy. He was like the most unsympathetic person I've ever seen in my life, you know. He was just like the way he's talking to the wife about the kid and all this stuff. It's just like, so 10 years, really, huh? Like, you know, <laughs> it's like, you don't want to give up on this? Or it's just like the creepiest dude. Yeah. But that's, that's for good reason is because um, they're sort of our first real interaction with the fierce people, the sort of warring tribe, and they accidentally stumble upon them. And we learn very quickly that uh, uh, they're going to keep that newspaper reporter guy and eat him, but they're yeah, going to let... Yeah, that was, that was interesting. Now, now I, didn't, yeah. I did not previously understand that they had cannibalistic tendencies. Well, there's some subtitles in there. I think maybe you missed a little bit. Yes. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I did feel like that poor guy was in, in some serious danger. And then I was surprised and, uh, and delighted maybe is the word. I don't know that, mm-hmm. that powers booth doesn't Rambo out and like save both of them and, and get themselves out of it. Like he just <laughs> basically is like, I got to run. <laughs> and he has a machine gun too. He right? does. Yeah. yeah. He, but, he I mean, definitely yeah. could have taken down a number of those guys, but you know what? He wouldn't take them down all of them. Well, the deal was sort of that he... They were going to keep that guy, and they're going to let him go, but hunt him because that's what they. I mean, that's sort of the sport of it. You can call it a manhunt if you will, mm. like another movie we watched. Indeed, but it's when Powers Booth is running away from them the next morning. He's still kind of going off of them, and they. I think they've caught up with him at that point. That he then runs into his son Tommy in the river, and Tommy actually saves him by you know, helping kill some yeah. of these fighting these, against the fierce yeah. people. Yeah. I thought, you know, I, it didn't really kind of occur to me when I was watching it, but then I was thinking about it later. It's like, man, there's probably a hundred different ways to have these two people run into each other again in the jungle that are all going to feel contrived. That one, I just kind of totally went with, um, because you're in, you're in the moment, like it's just action, you know, and, and John Borman is so good at that. It's, I mean, it, that stuff did remind me of these, all these, those sequences in deliverance when they're just like praying to get down the river. Um, well, yeah, even, even, you know, even if you just ignore the fact that, that the way it's uh, shot and the way it's put together is, is obviously really well done and really tells the story in a really gripping way that doesn't take you out of the moment. Yeah. I mean, I mean that the fact that this guy would ever find his son is completely ridiculous. Yeah. Like, he has nothing to go on, almost. He has he an has, arrow. That's it. Exactly. He has one arrow shot into nothing the tree. To go on. Yeah. So, yeah, the, the the fact that he would even find him is ridiculous. So the fact that yeah, you can put it here where there's so much tension and and <clears throat> already happening kind of helps misdirect you away from that. Um. I agree, you know, and I think because also, it's actually even more ridiculous that he would find his son right when he needed him. Sure, but I mean, yes. story-wise, that's exactly why it works. <laughs> yeah, and it's entertaining, and it's also I think it totally helps that because I was honestly just a little surprised that they broke POV when we first kind of cut away to Tommy, you know, in the jungle, and I'm like, oh, this is going to be more than just a two-minute scene. Of like, oh, here's his kid. Now, when is the dad going to find him? No, it's like you're almost like it kind of becomes his movie um, in a lot of ways, you know. And you have a, a, a movie, you know, so the whole early 80s, you had your Rambos, you had mm-hmm. a bunch of 
white guys with guns going Predator. in and yeah. either saving the day or just blowing everything up. And so in this movie, that's how it's all set up. All the posters, Powers Booth looks like a badass with his gun. He's going to go in that jungle. He's going to get his son. And what happens is his son saves him. Like, I mean, that's the, that's, I guess what I really liked so much about it is it, it went completely a different way than what I ever thought it was going to, it would ever have been. Like, I, I thought he was going to be at war with a tribe to save his son. Right. And it's completely not that, uh, which I thought was, well, and I mean, I guess it's not completely not that. Cause well, that's what I was saying. Tribe. It's still kind of like, it almost gives you your cake and eat it too by giving you that tribe that, that is a villain, you know? Um, and that they are at war with. So, you know, you get all that action and it's really cool, but you're absolutely right. Like it does not kind of take a conventional narrative, I think in that sense. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's, I think from that point, it's kind of about the choice that Charlie Borman's character has to make is, do you go back with your dad or do you stay with what's, you know, essentially been your family for the bulk of your young adulthood. Yeah. Um, Everything you know is this forest. Yeah. So. And it seems like a pretty cool life. I mean. I know, yeah. It seems kind of great. Except for the Um, ants. Oh, gosh, the ants, they're so bad. Yeah, we should talk about those sequences a little bit because, yeah, um, you know, prior to kind of some of this happening, as we've mentioned, like there's, you know, it's basically the... um, I feel like there's a good Joseph Campbell term that I'm not thinking of, the, the mythical becoming a man kind of uh, ritual that involves, yeah, um, they put all these ants on Charlie Borman, Tommy, and I mean, it looks real. It just looks horrible. That actually, when I was talking to Heath a little bit, he said that was one of the few things that he remembered distinctly from watching this as a kid. And I was like, Hands down, it's still <laughs> awful and, and horrific. Um, but then they, they do this thing, and it happens a couple times in the movie. I think, if correct me if I'm wrong, it, uh, maybe they did it to Powers Booth as well, where they blow these insane hallucinogens up, their, up Charlie Borman's nostril <laughs> with what looks like a very long, thin, wooden pipe. And it allows him <laughs> to, um, I guess, trip balls, if you want to use the parlance of our time, and connect with his spirit animal. Uh, Charlie's Charlie Borman's happens to be, a, I think, a, it's a falcon or a hawk of some kind, which allows him to see where the stones and the river are. Uh, man, I can't remember what Powers Booth was. Was it like a bear or something? Or no, it was like a jaguar. Yeah, I was going to say it was jaguar, yeah. Yeah, it was, it was <laughs> some jungle cat. Which is, and yeah. uh, I feel like, and again... Maybe watching it in 240p is not the best way to say this, but I thought there was some really beautiful just wildlife photography in this movie, some of which is in that moment of seeing these spirit animals. Although I do think there was one at the end that was like a pretty bad green screen of the hawk flying. But anyway. Yes. But, you know... One out of a whole movie ain't bad. Yeah. yeah. To bring bring peak nostalgia into it, uh, uh, some of those effects remind me fondly of the time period sure where you know uh, there was a time when that would be convincing enough and it wouldn't have completely taken you out of it uh well it didn't take me out either i mean you know maybe yeah maybe there is nostalgia talking a little bit but uh it didn't take me out too bad but no it was beautiful i mean i mean the, the picture i had on mine was 
was beautiful. Uh, I mean, it was it was you know a, a bit grainy because it was actually shot on this thing called film. Never but, heard of it. Yeah, I mean, it was it was so nice to look at. It was it, it, it was great. Awesome. And then you know the movie kind of takes a, a slight shift after. You know, you, it felt like, and maybe I'm jumbling the order a little bit, that, you know, Tommy makes it pretty clear this is this is his life. He, you know, goes through the, the journey to become a man. Uh, he takes a wife, uh, Kachiri, I think is her name, um, in that sequence where he beats her over the head with a bat. Yeah. And she said something right before to him. Do you know what she said, Craig? Because you didn't have the subtitle. What do you think she said? Uh, uh, I, I I don't really know what she said, but the vibe I got was yeah. What was the vibe? That he was worried about hitting her with it, mm-hmm. and she either told him it was okay, or she told him, "Well, hit me like this, and I'll pretend to pass out." Your first instinct was right. Okay. So c- congratulations! I think you passed this subtitle test. Fantastic. Yeah, she sort of. I think she says, "Do it right," like that kind of like you know, like she she's as much worried about what people will think if he doesn't do it than he is about, you know, what they're going to think if he does. Um, and totally a great, I thought she was fantastic, man. She's so, so good. Like, uh, yeah. And she's been in a couple other things and I don't think any of them are English language, but, uh, totally, totally believable. But so once she has, once I'm sorry, he has this wife now and sort of this, he's become a man of the tribe. Um, you know, I think he tells his father, this is where his home is. And they sort of have this understanding but then the wife is taken hostage by, and that's, you got to help me out here because I can't remember the who fierce, did it. Was it. It was the fierce people, right? The fierce people, yeah, took all the women and, and basically sold them to uh, a, a, a local, somehow there's a local, yeah, bar, brothel situation, I assume, for all the uh, construction folks that are in town. And, uh, so you have these sort of you have these prostitutes there that are really just these women that they stole from the jungle, and in return, the fierce people get guns and ammo, which is kind of fascinating, and somewhat like that feels really still modern to me. Like you know, you're talking about sex trafficking, and we know this is still happening, but like to see it like that, like to come from those indigenous tribes, like that's. It's like doubly heartbreaking in a way, you know, um, and it's especially interesting here because, uh, you know, I'll admit, like, it's kind of weird. I'm weird is maybe the best word that I can use for it right now, just to see women going topless the entire length of a movie. <laughs> um, because this is not what we're used to in the Western society. And then when they're thrust into that world and they're, they have to wear these like awful outfits, you know, to be these prostitutes, like you can just tell it like it, that's like part of, of their handcuffs in a way, you know, um, is being forced into that world. And I think that also kind of, I mean, it just goes hand in hand with helping you understand why Tommy would choose to stay in a, in a place that's, that's somehow more innocent than that. And, and somehow, um, just less d- yucky. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's like the se- that bar is so seedy. Like even now, I'm just like, oh god, like that. I mean, I can't imagine. Like it maybe in 1985, it looked kind of like cool CD, but now it's just like, oh, that. Like I wouldn't even. No, I wouldn't it looks, put my yeah. foot down in that place with a shoe on, you know. Well, but but I assume that's you know if you're going to that bar, it's because there's really no other choice if you're looking to go to a bar. 
That's true. I mean, there's there's not really another nightlife that you're that's nearby. Right. Uh, yeah, it's pretty uh, pretty heinous. Well, let's talk a little bit about um, kind of how this builds. And I think if there was any moment for me that kind of, I don't know, was was a bit less enjoyable to me was when Tommy and his friend from the tribe kind of came into the city a little bit looking for Powers Booth. Um, I mean, there's some, there's like a cool sequence involved in that where they're running around. I mean, these people are like shooting at them. I can't even remember why exactly. Um, but it felt slightly convenient that they, I, I don't know. I just, I don't remember the mechanics exactly of how they ended up finding their dad or Charlie's dad, you know, um, there was a guy right. there I know that helped them, but yeah, I, I don't know. It, yeah. At any rate, it kind of kind of doesn't matter because it had to happen, you know. Kind of, yeah. Well, and that's what I was. I guess I was wondering because again, I didn't have any subtitles. Uh, but once everything had kind of gone down, uh, I was wondering if I had missed something, and and that maybe Tommy, like they, they both went there looking for someone at least like the people that they found. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, that's definitely mentioned in some of that. Okay. Um, that's kind of where they're headed. But um, the result is you then get Powers Booth coming to help them raid this brothel. And yeah. uh, I don't know. I thought that was pretty damn satisfying. <laughs> like, I, I got no qualms with, with people. It was. It what was. You, okay. What are you going to say? Yeah. Uh, that was the one part in the story. And really, I, I can't say it was like completely. I don't know, like it didn't belong or something, but but it was it was kind of funny. It's like when that was about to happen, was when I thought to myself, "Oh yeah, this is 1985 movie for sure." It felt like the end of like a million action movies (laughs) where we don't have a big budget, so we're gonna have a place kind of out in the woods, and we're gonna have kind of a kind of a gunfight. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Um, and it really ends up being a lot more interesting than that. Because mm-hmm. uh, cause there is a lot more at play, but it just felt like, or, or it kind of felt like, well, we do need Powers Booth to do something kind of badass. Totally. So let's have this be it. And that, I think, is what I kind of liked about yeah. it. Is, is it. Yeah, you're right. It, it feels almost from a different movie. And yet, it kind of worked for me because it was. It was, so, it was somewhat of a selfless act for Powers Booth. You know, by doing that, he again is kind of giving up on the idea of his son coming back to his family, you know, but he's doing yeah. it f- more for the, the, the son and his wife than anything else. Um, and because it's the right thing to do, which then kind of ties into the very end, it, which is, it gets, I don't know, is preachy the right word, but it definitely gets into the subject of, okay, your powers booth, you're building a dam, you're developing this area, which now you've seen, the beauty of of what can happen when you leave it alone and let the people live there that have lived there for 10,000 years um, and sort of the guilt that he feels about that. And then the actions he takes are pretty extreme. Mm-hmm. Although then there's an act of God a little bit. I don't know. I, I didn't quite... I didn't quite want to give a bear hug to the last <laughs> five, five minutes of the movie because I liked how I liked how sort of... Nice and simple and clean it was when Tommy and his dad went their separate ways. Yeah. 
and Tommy's saying, man built this this dam, but nature... I, I think he does say something like nature can... You know, we pray to, to so-and-so that that nature... You know, the great rain, the frog... When the frogs start singing, the rain will come and can wash it away or something to that effect. Um, what, what do you think about that? Because that... And maybe that's, again, a little bit about what you're talking about. Well, you got to give Powers Booth something to do. And so this movie that has been really about Tommy definitely ends with powers booth yes uh which does seem well see i actually feel like even though blowing up an entire dam is is you know a a little more ridiculous for me that moment works better than raiding the the bar Mm -hmm. uh because i mean because that's exactly what it is like he, he he's doing this to ensure his son's way of life now Right. More or less. And I mean, in, in lesser ways, you know, he's trying to say, oh, you know, we're, we're destroying nature and like, you know, this is wrong in a sense. I mean, there's also that, you know, and maybe this is just having 30 years of hindsight now, but there's also that feeling of like, well, blow up as many dams as you want. They're not going to stop building dams. Like, right. It's, it's not like they're going to suddenly never do this again. Um. Well, but, uh, also, but it is a grand gesture. There's no doubt about that. It's very grand. Yeah, it's a big, it's a big movie moment there at the end. Um, I didn't even think about this until now, but there's maybe there's a bit of a rub in the fact that he, he's got a conscience about what they're doing to the jungle, and yet nobody really seems that bothered by the fact that any you know anytime somebody gets killed, <laughs> there are multiple murders committed left and right doesn't really seem to weigh heavily on anybody <laughs> now uh, granted the people that died i think they were probably justified uh you know they were threatening the lives of others if not doing worse things than uh you know prostitution and whatnot not good people but i you, you know I, I don't think uh there's no indication in the movie that powers booth even gave it two seconds thought about the fact yeah. that, that well it, the- yeah and I mean, you know, Powers Booth is uh, definitely sort of a, a, a you know, th- this this role could have been played by John Wayne if it was in the '60s. Mm-hmm. You know, he's 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 the uh, a man's man in, in '80s terms, right? You know, he's he's not gonna. I don't know. He's he's there to do what has to be done. How did you gonna, like him in this movie? How did I like him? Yeah, oh, I liked him great. Um, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to offend you. <laughs> Uh, don't 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 question my love of Powers Booth. <laughs> I want. I mean, How he's got he? hands down one of the best names in the in the world. I it think. really is Powers Booth. Yeah, I liked him a lot too. I, actually, I was trying to think of is there a modern who's a, who is our Powers Booth, Craig? Um, man, yeah. Do we have a Powers Booth who can be so uh, uh, genial and charming one minute? But deadly serious the next? I know. I was trying to think, and like uh, the only two names I came up with, and I'm I'm almost embarrassed to say them. Oh no! Were Vin Diesel and oh, Keanu Reeves. Oh whoa! And see, I no, know. Yeah, I know I'm not even close, right? I don't, I, I don't think, but it's hard. It's hard to say, you know, who's our Powers Booth without just thinking, like, <laughs> who is most like Powers Booth? Yeah. Uh, in in looks and and demeanor. But yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if I'd say Vin Diesel, though. I'm sorry. 
I, no, I completely did, understand. Are you taking that back, or are you still you're saying? I'm not taking it back. I'm just oh, it's okay. out there with a question mark on it. Maybe an asterisk. Um, Powers boost. You know, I, like I said, I, did, I, I didn't feel 100 percent right. Sometimes you got to go with what feels like. 30% Sometimes, correct. yeah. Sometimes you got to go with your gut, man. <laughs> Let's see. Anything else we want to talk about with this movie? Uh, uh, I wanted to point out that when he finds his son uh, in this 1985 movie that was shot in the jungles of the Amazon, what we now call Amazon.com. Yeah, Seattle. His dad gets a spear through the arm. Now, I That's only watched that moment once, but it it seemed like you're looking at the two of them, and then the spear goes into his arm. And I just wanted to throw out, as a practical effect, I thought that worked quite well. I liked it. I liked that Tommy then broke the end off and pulled it out like he it's something he's done as a thousand times. That's something times. you have to do. That's right. Yeah. Uh, it felt very real and very enjoyable. Mm-hmm. And, <laughs> and, and the only other thing I would say is that I was always very concerned Whenever people were walking around on those wet rocks in that river, I just was like, "That's a, that's a, that's a split open head just waiting to happen." Well, I'm glad you brought this up, Craig. Oh, because I had a couple little bits of trivia here that I thought I might throw at you, and one of them is about Mr. Charlie Borman's toe oh, during the production of toe. this movie. Any, you want to take a guess at how many times he broke one particular toe, the same toe during the production of this movie? Well, you know, Sean, once you've broken a toe, it's it's easy to break it again. Is that right? Uh, I have no idea. Yeah, but it sounds, it sounds good. I would bet that... You're asking me what toe was it? No, no, no. It was okay. the same toe. I don't know which toe exactly. Oh. Guess how many times he broke it. How toe. many times he broke his toe. I'm going mm-hmm. to guess 15 times. Uh, that would be more interesting, but no, it's, it's actually four. Four. Well, that's a that's lot of a, time to break a toe, a though. To break a toe. I You're think probably so. only there for like two months. Uh yeah, yeah. Four. Yeah, that's you do the math. That's a lot of that's a lot of toe breaking going that's on. That's like yeah, <laughs> one break every two weeks. That doesn't feel good. How does he even yeah. get around? I break. I've broken my toe. I've broken several toes. Have you on, on numerous occasions? I'm sort of a connoisseur of breaking my toes. Yeah, fragile toes, more head. And and I mean, you limp around for two weeks, easy. Easy, you limp around for two weeks. So, like, basically, he'd just be getting good, and he'd be like, "All right, Dad, let's go shoot this today." Is that a is that a good English accent? Perfect. And then, yeah, and then, uh, and then he'd just break his toe that day. Well, I think probably I'm going to go ahead and assume that whatever the drug was that they were blasting up his nostril was re- that was real, yeah, and that yeah, he wasn't feeling anything. That could be. Um, but you know, Craig. Um, we almost didn't get Charlie Borman in this role. Really? We, almost, we wouldn't have had a British accent to reproduce whatsoever. Can I guess who? Yeah. Oh, do you know who? I know who. Who I know. Borman's initial choice was a very well-known actor from this time period. Let me make two guesses. The first one's totally a joke, <laughs> but if it's true, I'm going to lose my mind. Okay. Okay. First guess is uh, uh, Willie Ames, the guy from Charles in Charge. No, but they do kind of look alike here. <laughs> yeah, okay. that would, yeah. Uh, the other, uh, the other guess would be, uh, um, what's his name? Is it Charlie Cat? William Cat. Greatest American Hero. No. 
Okay, I'm out of ideas. See Thomas Howe. Oh, wow. Yeah. I mean, we all know he can play African-American because of Soul Man. Oh, yeah, I know. He's got an incredible range. So, yeah. Never, um, never off the mark. But that's, it's interesting because they do kind of look alike. They do. But I, I, I was never really for a second convinced that Charlie Borman looked anything like Powers Booth in this movie. Oh, no. Like, in fact, like I found his looks a little distracting because of how different it is. Yeah, but, I mean, you have to work pretty hard to look like Powers Booth. You're right. I mean, he's okay. only like 19, probably. Never mind. Yeah. Um, but it was interesting to me because like, I, I, I kind of felt like part of the reason of uh, casting someone whose hair was that blonde, almost white blonde, was mainly to be make it an easier connection for when he's older. That and to also bring in the, uh, the Blue Lagoon crowd. Exactly. You don't so want to leave those guys guy. out. See Thomas Howell. What could have been? <laughs> Could have been. Um, last little bit of trivia here. Apparently, because of the fact that the, the these poor women, I don't know they're poor or not, maybe they enjoy this, maybe that's how they do it all the time, went topless for the entire duration of a movie. Yeah. Uh, there, there's some bit about uh, the fact that maybe the entire crew did, or at least some of the, uh, the American and Western British people would do naked aerobics to start the day. Um, to kind of get everybody in the right frame of mind and be kind of comfort with uh, comfortable with their body. I don't know. That sounds like a uh, who was that guy? Paul Verhoeven used to do that or something. Interesting. Um, and then I don't think we mentioned this, but uh, supposedly this is based on a true story. So I read something about that too, and what what I understood was that it, it, people have been trying to, to to pin that down and haven't been able to. Uh, that it may it, it's sort of a, an amalgamation of two different stories. One of of a boy who disappeared into the Amazon jungle, and another one. The other one just blew up a dam. And the other, yeah, the other one just, yeah, just like <laughs> chipped a little bit off a dam one time. I think that's it for this movie. That's all I have. The only other thing I want to say is like, yeah, if you don't know John Borman, man, get to know John Borman. Get have you seen it. Hell in the Pacific, Craig? I have. I that forgot is a, he directed that. That's a fantastic that. movie. Awesome movie. Lee Marvin, Toshiro Mifune. Yeah. Japanese and American soldier stranded after the war. It's great. Um, just a two-hander, yeah. right? It's just those two characters. Yep. And they don't speak each other's language. It's yeah. It's a, a master awesome class premise. and lots of things. Yeah. Um, he also, if I'm not mistaken, made the classic Zardoz. With Sean oh, Connery, which is... John Connery in a thong? Uh, yeah, insane. Space thong? So, um, nice. He's got some interesting things in there. I think also he tried to make uh, Lord of the Rings as a live-action uh, thing way back in the day. I could see that. Um, Probably yeah. after Excalibur. I believe so. Yeah. And, yeah, he's a, he's a Brit through and through. Good for so, him. So, uh, yeah, awesome dude. Craig. Yeah. Let's do another Listener suggested movie next week. How about that? I love it. I love our listeners, Sean, and I love the fact they suggest movies to us. I know. My God. Can you imagine how much time that takes? Um, I think about it. Uh, another friend of the show, David Piles, suggested the movie Rhinoceros, starring Zero Mustel and Gene Wilder. And I had never heard of this movie, but God knows I love some Gene Wilder. So I'm all on board. This is streaming on Amazon Prime, and I think it could be a pretty cool one. Uh, I've seen this in play form. Wow! And uh, I'm I'm looking forward to it. 
I love the matchup, and uh, and the play is uh, pretty nuts. Nutso. Awesome. Well, that will be fun to talk about then, the differences between the two, and um, we'll do that next time, and maybe there will be an actual rhinoceros with us. That sounds so good. <laughs> sounds really cool, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, all right. Until then, Craig. Do a shout-out. Uh, we'd like to do a shout-out to our uh, uh, friend's podcast, uh, Podcasting Them Softly. Uh, which always has good episodes, lots of them out there for you if you want to start listening to them. But recently I listened to their interview with one Peter Hyams, director of 2010. What was the other one you mentioned? The Relic. The Relic. Yeah, among others. It's the kind of interview I really appreciate because I feel like Peter Hyams is not a guy that a lot of media generally gravitates toward to, to find out his thoughts on things and find out his story. But he's a guy I've seen probably almost every movie he's made and... uh and I mean, it's it's so amazing to hear those thoughts coming out of his uh, his grill. So go check that out. Um, it is very much worth it. Awesome, yeah. And maybe we'll find a Peter Hines movie to, to talk about on this show sometime. Indeed. Cross pollinization. Oh, let's pollinate. Mm-hmm.